<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What's up, Chris? What's up, Alex? How's it going? Good. Long time listener, first time caller. Good to be on the show. <laughs> same, same. Uh, it's exciting. I feel like you've been in my head for a long time, and so this is good to actually <laughs> have an interactive um, experience. Sure is. Yeah, I um, I briefly tuned into your conversation this morning as well um, about making it in the world of I don't know the crater economy. It sounded bleak. Oh yeah. You know, uh, it, it's um, it's a mixed bag. I think that the incentives are to make it sound like the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, and but it's entrepreneurialism at the end of the day. So yep. you have to be ready for you know the highs and the lows, and uh, there's plenty of both. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, right? Because there's this um, transition, I suppose, that happens for some people where they start out doing it. F- because they'd love to do it. You know, um, I forget the woman's name who was there with you, but she was like, I was just a YouTuber and it was fun. It was great. And then she got this boyfriend or husband now. And he's like, Oh, you got to like monetize this and you got to merch that. And you know, you got to get on TikTok. and it's, yeah, it turns into a slog after a while. Yeah. I think the key is just to keep it in perspective. And so one of the things is you can say yes to everything. Yeah. So, um, being selective about the stuff you take on is, um, the best way to survive in, in that type of world. It, you know, at the same time though, it felt like there's this, um, and I know that was actually said in terms of like a message. Um, yeah. but there seems to also be this fear of obsolescence, fear of people moving on. Like, and I think that the burnout and the things that people talk about is because they let the platforms dictate what they're doing as opposed to being true to whatever it is that they want to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. being okay with the, I, I don't know. Everything sort of follows the crypto boom and bust cycles yeah. and eventually it levels out and you have to be able to ride those. It's almost like waves of nausea. Yeah. Well, I think that is, that's especially true when you're subject to the algorithm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you're trying to, you know, do all the things to get YouTube in front of, you know, the people that subscribe to you, that can be extremely exhausting. I think life is much better when you're, um, writing to people who subscribe and say, I want you in my either RSS feed or today, the modern version of that is the newsletter or in a podcast feed. Um, so you don't have to rely as much on, let's say a Twitter algorithm or a Facebook algorithm to, uh, connect you with the people who, you know, raise their hand to hear from you every week or day or whatever it may be. Um, and I honestly think that like, if I was, I, you know, newsletter writing and podcasting is, uh, is no walk in the park. Um, but if I was crossing my fingers to like get Facebook newsfeed distribution hmm. in order to reach people and stay in business, I would probably go totally nuts. <laughs> I mean, given the stuff you write about. Um, okay. We've got Brian here. Um, I want to make sure his audio is working. Brian, you here? Uh, yeah. Verify that. Number one, this is the first time that I didn't get a notification. And oh. If you hadn't sent me the link, huh. I, I still don't see 
that this space is happening, at least <sighs> on my Twitter. Um, and and um, having weird issues here, I have a fan on in the background, so let me know if you, if we've got weird sound <laughs> issues happening. Brian, is uh, it like 100 and something degrees out in Brooklyn today? Yeah, it is. And we've already had uh, a couple rolling blackouts. Um, uh, so we lost power once. But so anyway, FYI, if I disappear on yeah. you, uh, that, know. that's what's happened. Yeah. It, it's actually chilly here in Oakland. Um, and actually, I'm sure, Alex, I'm not sure if you're in San Francisco, but um, yeah, it's kind of foggy and... Yeah. In San Francisco, and it's uh, it's foggy and cold as yeah. our typical summer. Turns out <laughs> everyone else is burning up, but it's. it's I, uh, I do feel for the people in New York, but also understand it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. We we could be in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest or yeah, Vancouver. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Okay, so I'm going to kick this off, and then we'll get into it. Um, you know, Alex, you're a pro, obviously. Uh, it's great to have you here. Um, for everyone tuning in now, uh, this is the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. Um, Brian and I use this opportunity to go deeper into the conversations swirling around our minds and social media and elsewhere um, to try to understand what's happening in the tech world, to put into broader context, to bring the lens of, I guess, maybe tech history and also product and product design and put it all together to try to figure out what's happening. Um, we are, oh, but, and by the way, this is being recorded and it'll be published to the SpaceCast feed um, probably tomorrow. Today, we're being joined by Alex Kantrowitz, someone who I've both followed for a long time. I listen religiously to his podcast. I read his newsletter. And he's in this... Actually, I, I think uh, maybe we started or I started to be aware of your work back in the Uber days when I was at Uber. And um, of course, you've been a pretty staunch both critic of uh, technology, but also someone who's trying to, as you say, get fair and nuanced views of what's happening. And so um, Brian and I have not gone deep on all the stuff that's happening in the government regulatory world. And it feels like this stuff is so important and, I don't know, could have a really, really big impact, impact on what happens, what we're able to do in the tech world, that we needed to just sort of break these things apart and get a sense for what's happening, why the remedies that are being proposed are being proposed, which of them are reasonable and might have certain outcomes, and then to look at certain actions that have happened recently um, to yeah, help us understand this. And of course, Alex, you've been writing about this, talking about it, so that's why we're super excited to have you here. Well, and, with you guys. and listen, uh, not, not to... Uh, pull the rug out from under everything but like literally what i need to know <laughs> alex is the first of all the, the the judge ruling this week um sort of came out of left field i feel like for most people um to to set the table for that like uh basically they dismissed the ftc's case against facebook which we can get into that might not mean the end of it but was that out of left field for folks like you that are watching this stuff closely uh, you know, I, I, in situations like this, I tend to end up in shock, but not surprised territory. Um, and again, I've been, I've been talking about this for a while. So I think it's, this really underscores the big issue here, which is that you have the FTC, which has an annual budget of 330, $350 million a year going up against a company like Facebook, which uh, makes that much money in two days. And so obviously the resources are going to weigh heavily in the favor of um, a company like Facebook to be able to fight against the FTC. And I think that's what happened here. You know, the Facebook has a legal team. 
you know, they immediately try to challenge the suit to, you know, throw it out. Um, they'll do whatever they can. And you're seeing this with both companies, right? I mean, even Amazon uh, is now pushing to get Lena Khan thrown off. The right, right. Which we'll talk about. Uh, but, you know, it, it's the FTC uh, is up against, you know, the biggest companies in our economy. Uh, and they're not going to see them go down without a fight. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, I, I was aware that Facebook was challenging. Uh, the suit, uh, you know, didn't seem this weak to me, but, uh, of course, you know, now the FTC will have to go home and revise, amend and bring it back. Uh, so I think this is a good opportunity for the Lena Khan FTC to actually like, uh, start making its mark saying, you know, okay, Facebook, you want to play this game? We're going to actually come back and, uh, you know, revise the suit, file it again. And then it's game time. Um, so, you know, potentially, you know, Facebook's moves might have uh, backfired in that front. It might backfire because it could give, you know, members of Congress more ammunition to pass the five bills that are now uh, for them that are meant to rein in uh, big tech. It can make Lena Khan angrier, although, you know, I'm not sure if uh, anything they do right now will, will um, add more incentive to her to try to uh, rein them in. So, right. Let me let me let me give this to you in in two different ways. Which is um, number one, not to not, please everyone listening. I'm not being political, but there is a, a school of thought out there that the Trump administration, which originally it was uh, the suit was brought last year, and maybe it was rushed, maybe there weren't the best people, the best lawyers behind it. Um, to what degree do you feel like that maybe um, they just screwed it up? They just, uh, they, the lawyers didn't get it right, they didn't draft it the right way, and, and so that if they do have a do-over, maybe that's all it is. This is a bump in the road, and, and they'll come back and, and redraft it, and it'll be let me, let me jump in here and just say what the court wrote, and then we can go from there. So what the court wrote was Good the idea. company, they allege, they being the FTC, has long had a monopoly in the market for what they call, quote, personal social networking services, which, you know, PSNS, I guess we need to define. And it has allegedly maintained that monopoly in violation of Section 2 of the Sherman Act through two different kinds of actions. First, by acquiring firms that it believed were well-positioned to erode its dominance, most notably Instagram and WhatsApp. And second, by adopting policies preventing interoperability between Facebook and certain other apps that it saw as threats, thereby impeding their growth into viable competitors. So one of the things that I just want to call out from a legalistic framework, and I'm not a lawyer, but um, one of the things that is illegal is to maintain your monopoly position without the government granting you the, um, that monopoly status. Monopolies aren't illegal unto themselves, but it's certain um, anti-competitive activities that is what the government wants to um, avoid or curtail or whatever. So in this case, essentially the, the court was like, look, you didn't define what the personal social networking services space or marketplace is, and you didn't articulate how Facebook is actually a monopoly. It took it as prima facie or sort of uh, common knowledge established, established yeah. that Facebook is a monopoly. And yet this whole case is whether or not by the existing definitions of monopoly, that Facebook is in fact a monopoly and is doing things to maintain their monopoly over time. Okay. Correct. Okay. That's right. 
to address to to address Brian's juicy question, uh, I don't think that this was had, had much to do with the Trump administration. Uh, the, DO, the head of DOJ is politically appointed. The FTC has a has a set term, and in fact, uh, fact check me on this, but I think they actually brought this case after the election. Uh, so, mm. from my understanding, the FTC is much more insulated from political pressure uh, than the DOJ is. Like once Biden nominates Lena Khan, for instance, you know he can't fire her. And so, um, there, I, I know that there was pressure within the federal government to get some suits going, you know, against the tech giants. Uh, but from my understanding, you know, in this case, uh, it didn't get thrown out because of um, you know I, I, the sloppy work that was done. You know, in a rush. And, and I do think that, um, you know, the lawyers at the FTC are diligent and really care about this case and they will amend it. And uh, this isn't the end of the line for Facebook. Now, the bigger deal is that the judge throughout, I think there was like something like 40 plus uh, cases being brought by state attorney generals or no, maybe one case being brought by 40 plus state yeah. attorney generals. That's they right. do not have the opportunity to amend. And when these cases first came out, um, that seemed like pretty important to me because Facebook could settle with the FTC like it's done time and again for very little penalty. Uh, you know, I mean, $5 billion for us is a lot of money. $5 billion for Facebook uh, is not the worst thing in the world. So what happened was the court threw out these state AG cases, which means that um, it's going to be easier for Facebook to settle this because you know, it's much easier to settle with one FTC. It's much harder for Facebook to settle with 48 plus state AGs. Now, uh, the question is, which FTC is Facebook going to try to settle with? Not the one that brought the suit. Now it's Lena Khan's FTC. It's going to be a much harder task. Well, let me let me let me give you the second part of my question, which is, uh, and this is a Lena Khan question, which is, her, she sort of made her name by saying that the way we think of antitrust and anti-competitive and regulation is 100 years old or more, and that the, the terms are outdated. And in a sense, um, what the, the court is kind of saying that to the FTC, it's like, well, you didn't actually define it based on the terms of the law as it exists. And so, as I said on the show this week, in theory – this could bounce back and be like, well, all right, either A, the FTC is going to come back and like redefine their terms and then, all right, we're, we're making a much more focused case, or this is just more fuel for the people that are antitrust um, engaged right now to be like, well, we need updated antitrust uh, legislation and regulation and more updated stuff to to do the like if if what they're saying is that the the, the terms of what the market uh, uh, irregularities are or, or unfairness is it, it, it's it, it it doesn't fit this case then that is sort of like what people like Lena Khan have been saying for years right yeah correct and maybe it's both so maybe it uh, you know the FTC does refile and. Uh, the case gets heard, um, and it also sparks uh, some more awareness among members of Congress that you know potentially the laws need updating. Now, just to address the one one thing, and I'm kind of interested to toss this one to you guys. Um, I, I do think the judge hit on the weakest part of the case, which is that Facebook, you know, Facebook being a monopoly. I don't see Facebook as a monopoly um, in personal social networking. 
I mean, obviously, it, it, it is the directory of the Internet in some ways. Uh, but you look at its competitors, and it, it's a zero-sum game in social media where competition is for people's attention. And uh, from what I understand, for like maybe the last 12, 13 months running, the number one downloaded app in the U.S. at least has been TikTok, uh, which is just crushing Facebook. As, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, TikTok as and Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Make its move for time. And yes, Snapchat, of course, is revitalized after the bump in the road after Facebook took stories. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, I think it's going to be really, I mean, the judge might let it go and uh, we might end up seeing a case. Uh, but I think common sense dictates that Facebook really doesn't have a monopoly and is in fact the most vulnerable of all tech giants. Right. Do we know why uh, this is the first one? Because, uh, and we'll definitely get into the, like the Amazon thing and, and everybody else. But um, I feel like, Facebook was always the low, low-hanging fruit because um, it, it sort of goes across the aisle, and it's like you know liberals have. Well, it's the easiest to hate. Everyone's upset with Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe is that part of it too? Is that like th- this was the one that was the 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 easiest to to swing your bat against, um, and then uh, I. I the, the the thing. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna reform my thought, Alex. Before you answer that, um, you're right in the sense that, like, if you if you're defining the market in in terms of social media, it's very easy to make the argument that Facebook does not have a monopoly. If you define it in terms of advertising, then you've got a better case. But even then, um, it's a duopoly, and they're behind Google, and so it's sort of like. If 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 all you wanted to do was make headlines or, or or go after the thing that people were the maddest about, then that's why they went around Facebook first. But maybe Facebook is not the one that is the most um, um, in the line of fire here, or or in danger here in terms of like what the law actually is as it exists now. Correct. Uh, this is a question I'm still still investigating. Why Facebook goes first? I do think that Facebook was. Uh, the target of a lot of animosity from both sides uh, after the 2016 election. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, I, I shouldn't have announced anything now, but whatever. So we're a family here on Twitter spaces. Um, <laughs> I'm speaking with uh, the the team of, of David, Rep, uh, Representative David Cicilline, who's leading mm-hmm. this whole thing nice. uh, about coming on Big Technology Podcast. Hopefully he'll be on next week. And um, the one thing I want to ask is, what the motivations have been now of course like we start to see that you know facebook has has used its market power and uh, grown extremely powerful especially over the past five six years so what are the consequences of that in terms to newspaper publishers and stuff like that by the way i think a lot of publishers have been the loudest uh in making the case that facebook's a monopoly so potentially that's part of the reason why it's here but i really would like to understand like what the motivation is is it the 2016 election is it some consolidation of market power? Um, to me, it's still kind of hazy. Like one thing I'd like to hear from Congress is, uh, "Hey, like this is the reason why we've decided all of a sudden to start making these moves." And yes, uh, and Chris, I'm sorry to jump in if Chris had one, but uh, <laughs> go for it. If 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 I could speak to Representative Cicilline, the first thing I would ask would be, "Yes, it was a mistake for Facebook to be allowed to." Um, acquire WhatsApp and and Instagram, but that was a decade ago. 
So it's kind of, and, and this, again, I'm not a lawyer, but like the legalistic part of it is like, so even if now you say, well, that was a huge mistake and we screwed up, I don't, I don't see how there's any way that they can undo that. You know what I mean? Like, even if you can get to the point where it's like, well, th this gives Facebook too much dominance in this particular market, even if you can make that argument, even if you can make the argument that it's harming consumers or whatever, I don't see how you can undo something. And, and that's specifically what um, the, the, the state's case got thrown out for. Right. The, the, specifically, the judge said, like, there's, there's, yeah, there's no, there's no precedent for that for for throwing out something that happened a decade ago. So I will say that I think the WhatsApp acquisition should have had more scrutiny. I don't really see how you can make the case that Instagram shouldn't have gone through. Um, but yeah, I think one of the interesting things that we're going to watch as this case goes on is that you know there's a chance that Facebook is going to be made substantially weaker as the FTC. Not because of the FTC action, but as the FTC takes this action, you know, through the courts or as uh, Congress passes How? these laws. What do you mean by well, weaker? I, I just think I happen to think that um, that the TikTok threat is massive. The Snapchat threat is massive. Um, I mean, look at Instagram right now. The, the company is, seems to be telegraphing the fact that it's going to change its entire product in order to compete with TikTok, which is not something you do when when you. I mean, I don't know. You, there's it's one thing to add story, it's, uh, stories, it's another thing to completely change your feed uh, in order to head off competition. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, Facebook is obviously going to remain powerful, but is it going to be the overwhelming powerful presence that it felt like it was in like 2015, 2016? That's really tough for me to see right now, given the competitive landscape. Yeah, I mean, I want to step back a little bit from this, because like we've been talking about for a long time, one the government is very slow to act and to make changes. We're seeing that right now. And what they're fighting against are things that happened 10 years ago. So the, by the time that any of this actually gets adjudicated and put through the courts, it feels like, to your point, Alex, like either Facebook is going to be largely a different business, in which case regulating it according to what would have made sense eight or 10 years ago doesn't make sense. And the competitive marketplace feels quite vibrant. Like just because the old people are not like using new apps doesn't mean there isn't competition out there. Like to try to assert that Facebook is a monopoly in the conventional sense, like back in the day when you could only actually choose from one provider, that just isn't true. You can go to the app store, you can go to the top 10 list of social media apps and download all of them and sign up for all of them. The problem, it turns out, comes back to human behavior, human attention, human effort. Trying to move your social network from one to another is a problem, but that's not really a product problem. I mean, it is in a way, but it's a problem of behavior. It's a problem of convincing your friends that something else is better and they should leave Facebook behind. So I don't know what type of remedy could actually be introduced in a timely fashion that is going to oxygenate the market more than competition you know, from better, better product. Now, maybe that's naive and maybe it's because I'm a product guy and I just think that like better product tends to win. Um, but I think what you're saying is super spot on because Facebook and Google, frankly, and all the big companies don't really move unless they see a loss in concentration of their customers. I mean, I worked on Google+. I was there when Google became aware that Facebook was going to eat its advertising lunch, and that motivated the company to move and spend a lot of money in a very short period of time. And that type of competition and the way that these companies compete 
it like clarifies their mind and they focus. And to see Facebook moving in this way feels like the way that Google moved when it recognized the Facebook threat. So the fact that that cycle is repeating now and there's a different uh, Facebook, I guess, is the incumbent. And now they're being disrupted by an algorithmic feed. The real problem that Facebook has on Instagram, which is, I think, their most leading edge sort of uh, defender of culture, perhaps, and owning the future of culture, is the behavior. The behavior on TikTok is different. It's more TV. It's more subtle. It's not feed-based. It's not control-based. So the fact that Instagram spreads across the era of, of folks like you and I who are used to or at least experience a chronological feed and the TikTok generation grows up having never experienced a chronological feed and not wanting it means that TikTok doesn't risk losing or alienating half of their user base. And that, I think, is existential in a way for Facebook. Not only that, not, not only is it sort of, you know, uh, out of chronological order, but oftentimes uh, the people that you see are people you never follow. And yeah, and so following on. doesn't even really matter. People get millions of followers and not it doesn't make a difference. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a big challenge for Facebook, obviously. I think what you said earlier is spot on. You don't change the whole product unless you see that you're losing users. And I think that's what Instagram is doing now. And remember, uh, Instagram became the crown jewel after Facebook couldn't hold the port. So if Instagram goes, you know, what's yeah. left of Facebook? Totally. Uh, uh, let me ask you to, to pull it out from just Facebook. Um, should we read anything into the larger uh, Washington wants to go after big tech in general? Or... Is this, as we've been saying, like maybe a Facebook specific thing? So, i.e., to get into like uh, Amazon or Google or, or or Apple or whomever, any other suits that are coming down the road, should we should we just assume that no, this might be a, a speed bump right now, but the the momentum is still in Washington to do something against big tech? I definitely think there's still momentum to do something, and. Uh, you know, I, again, like one of the big issues here is that the U.S. intentionally uh, basically kneecapped its regulators over time, felt they were too ambitious and, you know, said, OK, you know, get out of the are, way. Are there well, examples of that? Just, Alex, like historically, well, what was it that they were regulating that was overzealous and that they needed to be kneecapped? Or is that just what business tends to prefer is like, get your hands I off think, us? Yeah, there was a period of so, so there was a period of time in the U.S. where we went full on businesses are key to growth. You know, took down the tax rate and started to pull back the funding of of these regulators. Um, so, uh, I think that there was just a general preference for a much easier regulatory environment, and that's why you see FTC and DOJ antitrust funding actually start to go down, um, which is strange because usually in Washington, you know, agency funding just goes up. Yeah. So I think that we'll see. Um, Number one, like the bill with the, so of the six bills that Congress introduced, the one with the with the chance to get uh, passed, or the best chance to get passed is uh, one that will increase funding to the FTC and a, a DOJ right. antitrust department by tens of millions of dollars, which I think is needed, uh, because you know if, if these these, uh, if these agencies can't even act as a check on um, on tech giant power, uh, then you'll start to see some of the uh, you know, basically reckless anti-competitive business practices that we're seeing now. Obviously, you want to do this stuff to, and not, uh, you know, destroy these engines of the economy. 
you want to keep the good that they're doing and try to mitigate the bad. But it's a very, very difficult uh, thing to do. So I do think that there's still hunger in Washington to do it um, more than I even expected. Uh, they certainly didn't seem smart about what they were doing when Mark Zuckerberg came in for the hearing and they thought uh, they asked him how, <laughs> how do you make money email on WhatsApp? <laughs> yeah, how do you make money? How can I send an email on my WhatsApp? Um, <laughs> but they changed. They changed. They did. Uh, they did. They've been extremely impressive. Of course, Lena Khan was a big part of that. She worked with um, uh, Cicilline's uh, antitrust subcommittee uh, to help produce their report. So now, now she's you know in charge of the regulator they're about to fund. Uh, and then I remember, I remember even yeah. doing a, a, a segment where I, I literally pointed out that she was sitting behind Cicilline mm-hmm. and like being yeah. like that, that, that's meaningful <laughs> that this is, this is Absolutely. the person sitting behind, uh, and now she's in charge of the FTC. Exactly. So yeah, I, I would say that there's, there's hunger and just sort of the big question is, so the regulators are going to get funded. They have the, you know, person who's most against big tech, uh, <laughs> running the FTC. And the big question is, whether any of the subsequent five bills are going to get passed, especially Cicilline's bill, uh, which looks at anti-competitive practices, um, particularly when it comes to self-dealing. So, for instance, Amazon, prohibiting Amazon from taking data from a merchant that sells on it and then using that data in order to enhance its own offering, uh, All right. which they're starting to look at. So. That, is, that is maybe... In my opinion, again, not a lawyer, but like this is what it's all going to hinge on if this goes forward, is this idea – it's all going to come down to the self-dealing because all of these big tech companies essentially have platform business plans, right? So that it's 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 – you know, I would argue that it's it's the software eating the world sort of reality, where once you get big enough, once you are uh, a tech company that can uh, put a computer in everyone's pocket, you, you have software that like everyone has to use every single day, you have services that people have to use every single day, there's essentially no market that you can't go into, right? And so the question is going to become, again, I would ask Cicilline, like, is that what you're trying to define? Are you trying to define... A situation where it, 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 when, when GM, when, when in the in the 20th century, when the the phrase was "What's good for GM is good for America," GM didn't also try to get into selling dishwashers or or laundry detergent or clothes or like they stayed in their lane. Is is that what the regulators want? And if so, like okay. You can be Apple and you can only do certain things, and you can be Google and you can only do certain things. Is that not realistic for the 21st century where if software is eating the world, that's kind of hamstringing competition in and of itself? That's why I, I think that's why this stuff is so tough <laughs> because you know you write the wrong rule and all of a sudden you've started to kneecap your, your economy. So um, I, I think that, that is the question, Brian. It's where does this end? And what are the, you know, obviously you have a problem, you write the bills to address the problem. What are the second order effects to that? And I, I wrote about that a little bit, you know, especially in regard to this bill that would prevent, essentially prevent big tech from making acquisitions full stop, uh, which just seems to me to be, uh, you know, a needlessly aggressive uh, bill that could really constrain, um, you know, uh, startups' ability to exit, which would, you know, potentially change the incentive of whether you wanted to start a new company or not. So uh, that's the cool part about democracy, though, is that we get 
you know, in a number of months, maybe years, to look into these and start assessing the um, all different sides. And of course, you know, the tech companies you know, should make their case. You know, better off that they make it, you know, themselves versus these, you know, vague and you know anomalous third parties that they pay to do it for them, for, do it for them, like the Chamber of Progress. Uh, which, what does that mean? Um, but yeah, I think that this is going to be a key part of the debate. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their Airnet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer, their Silver Crew Neck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. As you know, I still run the first company I ever founded 25 years ago entirely on Shopify these days. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow the whole way. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is that you can take any business to the next level, even 25-year-old ones, but especially 25-day-old ones. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash ride so um i just want to let everyone know that i have pinned several tweets that link to um alex's newsletter and a bunch of the stuff that he's written about this um specifically that one bill that he just mentioned where he goes into some of the secondary or second order effects of some of these regulations and that's kind of what i wanted to talk through in this i don't know this next part of the conversation i feel like we've laid out the landscape we have a sense for what's been going on maybe why regulations haven't happened i also posted a link to what i think is the ftc's historical budget and it seems like it did dip around 2012 i ironically, around the time of some of these acquisitions and mergers. Um, and it's gone up since then. So there is still funding. I mean, you know, way more than in the 80s or 90s. Um, but of course, it doesn't tell the complete story about what purse strings are being pulled, and etc. But I want to talk through some of the I don't know, let's 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 say that you're having this conversation with um, Cicilline. And we're talking about the, the goals, right? If we take a long arc of history, 
um, or maybe even 10 or 15, 20 years, and we think about what would the consequences of regulations that are imposed now do to, as our friend Prof. Chi likes to say, oxygenate the marketplace um, of competition, how would those things actually impact the market? What would be the sort of lived reality of an everyday person? And why is that better and for whom? I know these are like high-level things, but I think these are important because, for example, one of the the conversations or one of the pieces, let's see, it's the, um, let's see, there's a couple about acquisitions and we just talked about that, but there's the one that's, what is the Platform Competition Opportunity Act? No. Um, The one about interop. Ah, Access, the Access Act, which is short for Augmenting Compatibility and Competition by Enabling Service Switching Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I know, Alex, you um, dished on this one a little bit, and I'd love to unpack your thinking here because I used to work on decentralized social networks, and I've had a number of conversations with folks about decentralization. And there's a whole, I would say, Gen Z preference for ideas, uh, and Randy's in the uh, uh, audience here, uh, of, of an interest in decentralization because they've only known a world in which they've been centralized. So I just, when I think about the interop question, it feels like it, one, doesn't go far enough. Two, there's a set of assumptions, just like the FTC made about Facebook being a monopoly, that decentralization isn't actually sufficient. Whether you can achieve it technologically, let's say you can, let's say you do it with Web3, blockchain, ERC20 tokens, whatever it is that the is the enabling technology, you still have the coordinating aspect. And I guess I wonder if there's or where the logic of interoperability comes from. And if it only comes from the telephone world, where if I'm a Google Fi subscriber and you're a Sprint subscriber or AT&T or whatever it is, we can all call each other, right? And that's interop and that creates competition and choice. And that's good for everybody in theory. But in the social networking world, if you have a feed that can't render the kind of content that I'm producing, or if I'm producing reels on Instagram and you're producing TikToks on TikTok, but we don't have the same feature set, then the interrupt actually is not going to be that great. Or you're going to be essentially munging a bunch of metadata into a media format or object, like a movie file, and rendering it elsewhere as uh, a non-interactive, non-editable sort of, I don't know, it's like a taking a web page and putting it into a PDF and trying to then edit the PDF. Like it doesn't work. So w- what are your thoughts about this space? Because I know you're hyper skeptical and yet it's one of the four bills going through Congress. Yeah. Six bills, by the way. Oh, um, six, okay. I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe okay. you could probably uh, articulate this a lot better than me. I just thought like the, um, Congress writing a bill that will let you like take your data from platform to platform I don't really know. I think mean, you're right. There are different experiences there. So like if I take my like, like what data am I taking? The stuff I've liked on Facebook and then somehow that has to transpose to TikTok or the people I'm friends with on Facebook, somehow that has to transpose to you know, the people I follow on Twitter or the photos I have on Facebook. And I have to be able to like, right. you know, bring those to another platform. Uh, I've yet to hear someone fully articulate, you know, why this is going to be something that's useful you know, first and foremost to people, maybe, maybe it will be, 
um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think through like, you know, of my wish list of stuff on social media platforms. I'm like, well, what, what do I really want? And does this rank, you know, way up there? Could I imagine myself trying to port my data from one platform to the other? Um, I don't know. It seems, seems you know, let me, yeah. let me jump in here actually. Cause as you're talking, I came up with one idea and it's actually very relevant. I don't know if you saw this, um, but the Twitter account today, and I'll pin a link to this tweet in a second, um, posted out that they are offering NFTs through a, a presume a partnership with Rarible. And so uh, it's called the 140 Collection. Um, vitamin T, I think, is one of the NFTs. Anyways, what's useful and interesting and powerful about what I saw was two things. Um, one is that with the NFT space, you have something that's registered on the blockchain, and that is portable. That means that there is one instance of this thing, and as opposed to creating copies of something that just proliferate your data everywhere, in other words, like Google Takeout or download your data from Facebook or Twitter and uploading it to someone else, and then having a bunch of junk, basically, that's not connected to anything, in the NFT space, you have a reference to a single object and especially if you host it on something called IPFS, which is the interplanetary file system. So essentially, there are lots of copies out there or whatever, and you're linking to, I guess, the signature of the thing. That starts to get to something that's a little bit more interesting. But that isn't about, I mean, it is interop, but it's more like deciding to agree on a similar set of um, maybe object primitives out of which you construct a social media environment. So again, if... Instagram is trying to run after TikTok and compete by imitating or creating a lot of the same features, but they have to move over their entire user base to this new concept of how you receive content and it's like washing over you and it's all algorithmic. It may be the case that interrupt doesn't actually make sense for the next generation. Right. It's social. not even the same graph. Like exactly. what TikTok does, right. TikTok does is not the same thing as what Facebook or Instagram does. So the web three or the interrupt or whatever it is that this bill is trying to presuppose almost needs like a hard reset of the whole social space in order to function with the logic and the gravity of a decentralized social media and the social web. Because privacy has to be completely rethought, access has to be rethought, permissions have to be rethought, the set of expectations and norms that you get by being inside of one closed container don't apply to decentralized platforms unless there's policy and enforcement at a different layer of the stack. So. I, I'm very, I guess, activated and like turned on by this because these are ideas that we were talking about a long time ago that in some ways would have prevented some of this concentration of power that people seem so worked up about. But they weren't interested at the time because they weren't looking to the future to see how this would go. So now we're trying to retroactively apply solutions that would have made sense if we started there 15 years ago to things as they are today. And it seems like it's going to be a big waste of time. So back to Brian's point, like why is Washington doing this now? It's because they realize that they have lost a great deal of power and legitimacy in the digital era and the digital age. And they're using, I guess, the mechanisms of democracy, which is good, which is laudable, to try to control this space, which may turn out, out to be far less controllable than we might have thought, I guess, possible if coming from a superpower like the United States. <laughs> I um, you. I, sounds right to me. 
<laughs> listen, I, I've made the point before that in the end, a lot of this comes down to power is always jealous, and it, not to be too um, cynical about it, but like, yeah, if 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 an industry gets too powerful in any country, in any era, in any realm. Um, the the political power gets jealous about that, and the, and they want to rein it in. Um, so you know, that in the end, in China, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's he's yeah, he's making right. a joke. He's making a joke because well, that's hey, literally well, happening right let's now. Let's unpack that, right? Because in China, you have the most successful entrepreneur ever there um, in this quasi capitalist communist all, all of them now though Chris, because okay, all of them all of them now are walking back it's just not it's happening behind the scenes all of the companies are being cowed right now which maybe um alex but, can but talk may, about is that working bit. as intended it, it, it's working as intended for the chinese communist party <laughs> okay keep going um no okay actually alex let me let me let me do a hard reframe on this. If if the momentum is still there to curb the power of this uh, giant industry that has become powerful and you know a third of the economy or whatever it is, um, who do you think is the most exposed? Who do you think if 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 Facebook dodged a bullet right now? Who if you had to uh, put your betting hat on? Who's the one that is most likely to um, get their knuckles wrapped the worst, you think? Oh, probably Google. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, it, if it comes down to your, your inability to self-preference in your own product, um, Google does that all the time with you know, maps and Google an- the answers they have and docs and um, you know, YouTube. So I think Google is definitely the most exposed. Uh, but you know it's uh, it's interesting because you know there's a bill out there that would break these companies up essentially. So does that leave Microsoft off the hook? Like from my understanding, Microsoft's been rooting on this whole process, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're doing there, Microsoft. Like, uh, oh man, you know, those guys might... are snakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're so clever. You know, like, you guys might be uh, feeling good right now because. So, so you didn't have to go to the hearings, but it doesn't mean that these bills won't address the work you do. And of course, there's plenty of Microsoft product interoperability that you know could be an issue. So Amazon, of course, you know it's really tough to say like what is the what is the one that's going to get hit the most. I mean, you'd imagine Amazon would get hit as well, uh, especially if by some by some stroke the DOJ ends up breaking off AWS from the rest of the company. Well, the whole company runs on AWS. You talk about the retail, you talk about the Echo, um, you talk about Kindle, and then even the fulfillment centers. Like when you're the robotics and the fulfillment centers run on AWS, when you're you know uh, signing in and all that stuff, you're using basically stuff that's relying on the AWS back back end, and it's like that that's company the, is so integrated with all that stuff. That that's it the software really tough. That's the software eating the world thing again, but mm-hmm. um, it, it also does come back to this idea. In in my mind, again, none of us here think? are lawyers. Yeah. None of us here are lawyers, but the thing that is, in terms of exposure, the thing that is probably the easiest for them to do is the self-dealing bit. So anywhere mm-hmm. where it's like you have a platform where um, you have other entities, third-party entities, 
on your platform. And then also, by the way, uh, we're on our own platform too. And by the way, we have the access to the data because we own the platform. Like that to me is the lowest hanging fruit or the easiest case to make legally, I would think, right? So that... Um, yeah, but who else is, would be enjoined in that? Who else does that apply Apple, to? Apple, baby. Apple, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apple and Amazon, yeah. And Walmart. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, well, Walmart, you need a certain number of users. I don't think Walmart has the requisite number of users or the market cap right now. So, hmm. What kind of users are we talking I think about? It's like, what is 50, a user? 50 million U.S. users, but you also need a 600 billion market cap. It's so, so specific. It's like not Disney, but everyone above. Yeah. Or something. Well, it's like what is that? They did that law in Florida that you have to you, you're exempted. Right, is that what right, you're talking right. about? You're exempted if you own an amusement park. Yeah, exactly. so Congress should just throw that all in there. For Amazon and Facebook. If your first name Google is Bob. Amusement parks. Born in the January. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're good. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. But the, there, there, look, there isn't there. There are a few things that would be really nice, like. Imagine being able to, I don't know, maybe use Google Assistant with your iPhone or, um, or I'm sure that's coming, you know, or call up, call up Spotify, uh, when instead of Apple music, I guess you can do you that can. now, that's, that's but how long did the, they kick and scream before they fair. let you do that or make it the default? So, um, yeah, but that's also, that's also the point is that, okay, again, talking about low hanging fruit, uh, and I'm, I'm going to argue against what I'm going to posit right now, which is, so, all right. The easiest argument against Apple is, well, that's not fair that Spotify has to compete with Apple Music on Apple's platform, right? So you can see, all right, easy remedies there. But then Apple can say, well, does that extend to our weather app, our stocks app, our, mm-hmm. um, you know, our, our everything? So that, again, like, w- w- where do you draw lines in terms of, you know, every time there's a WWDC, we, we do stories about, like, well, that kills this startup because Apple did, the, mm-hmm. like, you know, the VPNs yeah. or whatever, you know. Not only that, um, but, like, so, how do you define these things, right? Because Facebook right, has, right. what, dozens, hundreds of apps. And so if I go to Facebook, what mm-hmm. actually even is Facebook? Like, the fact that I search for AirPods Pro on Facebook, I will get marketplace listings. Does Facebook now need to include Amazon Res- Results and other third-party seller results because they can't combine all their different products in the same That's what search I'm results? That's what I'm saying. Like, If you right. literally said to Apple, okay, you can't do Apple Music, then what else can't Apple do? Right. Well, like, what, do you, what do you strip off? You strip off Apple Music, you strip off the App Store, you strip off all the apps that sort of come for free that make Mac OS usable, functional. It, it well, begs the question of, like, like, what is a computer? Yeah. I think it's more just like... you. A good law would say you're not allowed to make your uh, default service or your own service the only service people can use or shut off competitors. But there. that's that's not the but, way it is, right? It's more bundling, yeah. right? And the uh, EU uh, went through I this agree. with Internet Explorer a decade ago, and the remedy was yeah. now Internet Explorer doesn't even exist, and they're using Chrome as their browser. Right. Well, it does seem okay. So sometimes the more that you dig into this, it does seem that like (laughs) what Congress is doing, maybe not in intent, but in effect is just, you know, potentially throwing a whole slew of laws at the tech giants. That's just going to slow them down. And, you know, what the the letter of the law matters, but just the process like it did to Microsoft, 
you know, might end 100%. up like dragging them down. And yeah, make, I've been playing like a lot others. of a lot of like tower defense games lately, and there are those, you know, there's like the archers and there's like you know the, the catapults or whatever. But there's also like I have this one where there's a tree and it's like roots go out on the path, and it feels like that's what you're describing. Like it's just sort of like slowing them down. It, it's not really meant to solve or address well, these problems because they're just. And- too thorny. Even if even if lawsuits aren't happening, I, I, I've made this point before, probably on here, but uh, definitely other places. That like um, even functionally, right now, there are deals that aren't being done because the companies know it would be too risky to try, right? And, yeah, and Google the hasn't made an make, acquisition since uh, January 2020, according to this website mm-hmm. that I found. Yeah, well, and but you, you end up meaningful. having the companies that that the companies end up copying stuff uh, instead of like yeah. talking to companies and not waiting. You know, usually a company. That's what I wrote in the acquisition piece. Usually, a company, a big company, will wait a beat and say, "Hey, do you want to acquire?" And they have a conversation, and then like maybe a year down the road, they're like, "All right, they're not coming over. Let's copy." Yep. But now they're forsaking the copy, the, the acquisition conversation altogether, and going straight to copy. Which is interesting. Well, and uh, listen, uh, historically, like there's an argument to be made that uh, the the giants that we have today, X, uh, uh, Microsoft, are all here because Microsoft, even though they didn't get broken up, even though in the end they they did lose the lawsuit, but they didn't have any remedy that meant anything. Amazon didn't. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Microsoft didn't buy Amazon when it was a $5 stock, which you know 1,000% they would have done in 2002. Am- or, or Microsoft didn't buy Google because they knew they couldn't. They never even tried. They had to do Bing. Like, so there is an argument that could be made that even if this is all strum and drong and, and, and nothing comes of it, um, we're going to get a few years here where what could have been an acquisitive sort of feeding frenzy is put on hold and then you have companies that have that breathing room to to reach their size which is a point that i made before where if if you're just if every company that is successful just becomes a, a part of everybody's tool belt then that's not a healthy market like you have to allow companies to find their place that that is a more healthy market to me i think so let me ask a question about, about this because one of the things that I feel like is a little bit missing from um, all this analysis, and it may actually be irrelevant, but I think it's relevant to these tech companies, um, which is that one, they are largely, if not completely, global companies. And most of their growth is coming from outside of the US. You know, Facebook is pretty saturated. Obviously, Google is saturated. So they're all looking to Asia or Brazil or Africa or other places to grow. So, if those restrictions are put upon, you know, American companies, does it really make that much difference if they're going to continue mm. to behave in the way that they already do everywhere else in the world? Uh, I mean, looking for growth, obviously, you know, if 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 Amazon, uh, you know, buys some e-commerce player in India, which I feel like they've been it, doing like daily, a hundred percent. Yeah, th- there there is that, but then. Yeah, I don't know. The, the the question more to me is um to what degree and maybe Alex you have a thought on this. Um is it that is it that everywhere in the western world <coughs> um it is that sense that um 
governments feel like power has has been taken away from them. And like certain people on on Twitter have been making the case that like you're you're missing the forest for the trees here. Like we're in a competition with China and other places like India or whatever, and and like it is a global market. So where are we going to kneecap our most successful companies here in the West with some sort of myopic sort of thing where uh, it, it the, it's it's not a fair competitive environment here in the West? But you're missing that it is a global environment, as Chris is saying. And um, so maybe you should, as, a, as opposed to kneecapping your successful companies, you should be um, promoting their growth as is happening if you're a Chinese company, except for the fact that we just <laughs> were saying that they're kind of kneecapping. So I don't know. I, I argued myself into a call. <laughs> well, one, one question, though, and maybe a better way to structure this would be if you want the best possible, strongest, most responsive American companies to thrive, let's say, um, what rules would need to be in place, right? Like if you think about, and I think about this a lot with just the analogy of sports, you know, whether it's soccer or football or baseball, you have a set of very clear rules and you have a bunch of different teams and they all optimize for those rules. Some, Mm -hmm. you know, cheat Mm -hmm. from time to time, but essentially you have fitness for purpose. So are there a set of, you're, you're saying handicapping, but I'm wondering if it's more like, you know, if we put bricks on someone's shoulder, does that make them super macho? Do they, you know, train in like the Alps and like low oxygen <laughs> environments so that when it comes to competing on the global stage, they're actually far more responsive and nimble and, you know, they move as opposed to becoming encumbered and slow and bureaucratic and sclerotic as many big companies do. Um, and that, that would be like the goal that you'd want to sort of strive for. And that, that's sort of like the purpose of competition. If things get too big and they suck all the oxygen out of the room, then that means that it is less possible for those smaller upstarts that might be more fit for the current moment to actually thrive and survive. So I guess I'm just trying to think about like, what is the shape of competition that is sustainable long-term in the digital marketplace? And are we almost being too narrow in circumscribing these set of rules to American companies, you know, like there's this recent tax change where, um, because of all the ways in which largely big tech companies, but also other rich companies move their tax liabilities around. So they basically end up paying no taxes, right? Very clever. But if you look at the market as the globe, as the entire planet, then you can start to coordinate amongst all the players so that more people are playing on more equal footing. And then we're all playing the same game as opposed to, as we say, like self-dealing or prioritizing or privilege one, privileging oneself um, by being able to make choices or fix the rules such that you don't have to play the same game that everyone else does. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide. 
finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. I mean, I'll just say this. This is why this stuff is is so hard. <laughs> yeah. Is it's because you have to make you know these companies are the engine of the economy. They're also anti-competitive in some ways. Yeah. So you have to make rules that's going. Are they anti-competitive or self-preserving? And is there a difference? Well, uh, you know, there's they're self-preserving, but there's also like when you end up starting to take data from the vendors that are serving. Yeah. That, that are working on you, yes, you become anti-competitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, so so can you start to address some of the anti-competitive stuff while uh, preserving that engine of the economy? That's that's the real question here. And if you misfire, you're you're you are going to be in bad shape because you're right. Like the you know the, this whole like you know you're, the tech giants have this whole defense of Facebook, especially. You know, you better like us because imagine if China were in our place and it's yep. a bit contrived, but also it's true to right. some extent. <laughs> uh, so it's something that they have to pay attention to. Uh, Alex, uh, one more for me, and then um, we we can let you go here soon. But um, I, I did a. a segment last week, uh, hat tip to Casey Newton for this, the idea that um, regulators are fighting the last war, like um, while this is going on, in theory, uh, Facebook is locking down uh, with acquisitions the entire VR space, which might be the space of the next 20 years. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of um, while we're undoing things that maybe happened 10 years ago, no one's actually paying attention to what's happening now? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, Facebook didn't make that acquisition of Oculus, but um, I don't know. First of all, I'm, not, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to regret saying this in a couple of years, but I'm really not sold on VR. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't, at least within our lifetimes, it doesn't seem like it's going to end up, uh, you know, taking off in the way that a lot of people hope. And, uh, okay, you know, there, there could be people who say that I'm wrong here, but 
Um, you know, during this whole pandemic, when everybody was stuck at home, I didn't have a lot of my friends, you know, getting Oculus goggles and hanging out with each other and Facebook's little, you know, so Alex, I want to, I'm going to push you on this one, uh, because I heard your, I knew this was coming. Okay, here we go. (laughs) No, well, actually this might go in a different direction than you think. Um, I heard your interview with, uh, the new, I don't know if he's new, but the Tinder CEO and you know, you were talking about how people want to, you know, go out in the meat space and socialize as opposed to doing (laughs) virtual dating. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing. I I feel, I don't know. I'm not going to go into like your specific age, but I feel like you and I are probably about the same general generation. I think you're a few years younger. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, this is the thing that's so hard to do. And I feel like I need to do a better job of talking to more Gen Z folks, but I feel like the sensitivities that you and I have to people spending more time locked in digital environments, isn't the same with a generation that grows up in headsets playing call of duty or playing Fortnite or hanging out with friends in these quasi real virtual FaceTime house party spaces that the real world and the digital world are merging in many ways. And it's not as uncomfortable 10 years down the road as it is for us. So I guess my point is not about, or in defense of VR, but that Facebook is making a bet to win the developers of the next generation of the metaverse. And that Snap is also Mm -hmm. in a pitched battle with them. And if you look at Snapchat lenses and uh, the the apps that both provide for building, you know, face things, those are building the primitives from a programming culture that will determine who is building for that new programming environment. So that's what I think it's actually more about. Well, let me try to thread the needle here. Yeah, uh, It's quite possible. I mean, I, if you listen to the podcast I did with um, the Tinder CEO, you heard that um, you know people spend more time hanging out in Fortnite than they do in Battle Royale mode. Right. Uh, meaning that people They're are spending more time making friends. Now, the question is, do, do they want to do that in VR goggles, or are they happy to do that on a computer screen or a TV screen? And it seems that virtual reality is actually, in, in some ways, playing out in 2D. Yeah. Um, and not in goggles. Yeah. And, you know, the question is whether people are actually going to want to put those those goggles on. And that's what I question. So and and if they don't, then I would argue that Facebook is actually way behind hmm. uh, because that type of stuff is being built by companies like Epic Games, by Roblox and not by Facebook, which has gone all in on one version of this future, yeah. not all versions of it. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I, would, I would argue that there's two paths, right? By the way, there's this is a meal, that, a meal welcome. Oh, so, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so I think there's two paths. I mean, I'm sure there's many, but I'm seeing two right now. One is what Alex was saying is that VR never takes off, and in which case Facebook conquers a, a tiny market, and, you know, good for them. Or it does take off, but it, we're so early that whatever they've conquered is not, what the larger, let's say, metaverse is going to be, and in which case there will be many, many competitors, not just, you know, Apple coming in with amazing AR glasses that so many people are expecting, but to touts his larger point, there will be Roblox, there will be, you know, companies that we're not seeing at all doing things that we're not seeing at all because we're so, so, so early still. And, and I mean, one, one of the questions that just to connect this whole conversation and Alex, you've been great. Thank you so much for spending an hour with us is My pleasure. what, of these rules, if any of them go through, besides the one about you know getting more money for mergers, will 
determine or influence what these companies are able to do or to build when it comes to that metaverse, whether it shows up as augmented reality glasses or different watch faces or different television experience. Like, who knows what the actual hardware experience is? In what ways does this help to shape the metaverse future that is actually more inclusive and more competitive than the one that we're in right now? And I feel like that's not actually even part of the conversation. It's more retroactive or retrospective in saying, oh, we don't like how much power Facebook has over the elections and over advertising, and it costs too much money. And that's that's fine. But I think it's more important to think about where this is going because these companies are so far ahead of where the regulations are that by the time they get written and put into code – like legal code, they're going to be irrelevant and they won't even make sense. Well, that's why I think Brian's earlier point about the low-hanging fruit is around platforms makes sense. Because if you argue that, you know, if you write a law that's very targeted on you can't abuse your own platform in order to destroy the competition, that will apply to, you know, let's say Oculus, but the larger metaverse as well. Right. I, I just say that I think it's it could get it could get weird. Um, you know, like <laughs> it's gonna get weird. When no Senator what. John Sherman wrote the Sherman Antitrust Act <laughs> in 1890, he didn't expect <laughs> that it was going to be applied to personal social networking. But here we are, and so yeah. you know, right, what's hundred years down the road when yeah. almost you know there's going to be more companies that are going to meet these specifications that Congress are laying out in their legislation. Uh, how do how do those laws end up getting used and um, you know, I think it will probably be as unexpected and as strange as uh, the applications that we're seeing today. Let me let me ask it's you. It's possible that nothing will happen, and <laughs> we'll actually be better off for it, even though we'll complain that nothing happened after all the. <laughs> uh, well, on that point, Alex, I want to ask you one more question. You're free to stick around if you like. I was going to open it up to a few comments, but um, given you know you've been covering this stuff for a long time, you've written books about it. You're obviously talking to a lot of people about this, including Cicilline himself. So mm-hmm. what do you, what is your preference? If you have one, do you, is there something you think that should happen? You've been covering these companies for a long time. You've been writing about some of the abuses of power. Do you think that these things are headed in the right direction ultimately? Um, or is there something else that we should be focused on? I personally think that the set of legislation that Congress draft or introduced is a little too aggressive. Um, some of the bills I like, I like the idea of funding the regulators. I mean, let them do their job. Uh, I think that's that's pretty crucial. And you think the existing then, regulations are sufficient, or that those also need to be updated? Uh, you know, I mean, I might I might write a few like pretty narrow laws uh, as well. Hmm. Um, like there's some that I like. I like. I really like the idea of not letting. A, so I think the way that Cicilline wrote it was a platform whose you know third parties depend on it to reach their customers hmm. cannot take the data that it wouldn't have gotten from them otherwise to enhance its business. That's very specific. Yeah, that's I a like good that. One. I also like the idea of like, you know, not allowing a company like Apple to prevent third parties uh, operating on it to direct consumers uh, to places uh, where they can buy services uh, more, that's a Spotify more one. cheaply. Yep. Yeah, right. exactly. Yep. So I think narrow, narrow stuff like that, you know, so, stuff that targets like blatantly anti-competitive stuff Stuff that that very clearly helps the consumer versus allows feeble competitors to get a leg up uh, is is to me the right way to go let, about things. Let me um, um, unpack that one because I did have one mm-hmm. thought about this, and I know I keep going, but yeah. Like, um, oh, this, let's keep going. Okay, great. Um, Who cares? We'll, we'll get some folks up we here in time. a second. Um, mm-hmm. The the thought that I had about this, 
was it's very easy for us to look at like the big companies, you know, that are fighting and to think about, oh man, the underdog, you know, has the deck stacked against them. Like when you think about Yelp and Google, or you think about Spotify and, you know, the app store and Spotify and Amazon and, and Audible, a bunch of these companies are like, look, we'll just direct people to the web. We're not able to tell them about that because those are the rules of the app store, but we'll, you know, through lots of marketing and email and all the rest, we'll get them to go and buy um, outside of the, of, of Apple's purview and we'll avoid their 30% tax. Now, the thought I had today was if you were to imagine that comp, that app makers could tell people about payment methods outside of the app store, I would imagine that a large number of very spammy, awful apps would start to send people outside of the app store and say, you can't you know, use Apple Pay, you have to go elsewhere. And that that could actually introduce a whole ton of fraud and other types of insecurity and horrible user experiences. And I know this is Apple's argument, but I think it's worth uh, thinking about that if I want to get a refund or I want to cancel a subscription, right? It's very easy to do in Apple's app store today. Like they are very much on the customer's side. Um, but if companies are like, you know, you think Spotify is ethical, it also opens up the possibility that unethical companies and organizations all around the world would take advantage of that new sort of side door, um, entrance and make things a lot worse for people who are Apple customers. Do you think that that is a, a reasonable concern or do you think that that's just something we have to accept in the trade-off for providing more choice, um, and access? Well, I guess I wonder what's the that we have a control already with the Google App Store, and I don't think it's rife with fraud. Like, there's ways to end up banning developers who break rules, mm. um, you know, or who, who do defraud people. So, mm. if you, yeah, I, I don't know what's the story with Google. Do you guys have have a sense of that? I mean, it just seems like there's so much fraud in all of Google stores. And in recent years, they've started to crack down, but Google mostly doesn't care. And it is very much like caveat emptor and you're on your own. Um, but, you know, Android has mm -hmm. been, I mean, the top apps in the Android app store for years was um, antivirus. So that should tell you oh, something. Okay, that does. Yeah, there's, there, there is some weird fraud stuff uh, in, the, in the Apple app store too, especially I mean, there is, uh, but I'm just saying when you open these yeah. things up, right? Because there's mm -hmm. like a, a, a noble cause like Spotify, right? Like Spotify, you should be able to go to the web and you know, sign mm -hmm. up. It also opens you up to Spotify X or Spotify Y, which are nefarious or trademark violators. And then the app store has to crack down in different ways which may be fine. Maybe that's it. Maybe they put a whole... I mean, it's interesting that this last WWDC, Apple made it possible for you to literally build an app on your iPad and publish it to the App Store. And you have all the features and benefits that keep people safe and secure. Now, imagine that you instead make it easier for people to you know, do payments outside of the App Store. And that I just... There's so much motivation for people to avoid that 30% that I, I know for sure they would, and it would generally erode probably the quality of stuff that's in the app store. And that might result in Apple responding by becoming more draconian in the steps you have to take to get an app into the app store. So, you know, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right. I so the level of, of fraud yeah. actually in both app stores is actually really close. Apple just wants to make it seem like there's a world of difference, but there really isn't. And this is coming from an Android user, so I'm, I'm biased the other Are way. Are you saying that from a payments perspective, though? 
Well, I mean, wasn't there the case that of uh, you know a bunch? I think there was like a crypto app where someone just stole a bunch of crypto, and, and that yep. was on Apple's app store. So the payment argument is just it's just Apple's argument. I mean, I it's think not. the crypto thing is a little bit uh, like that's harder. That's a little more obscure. Um, absolutely, I'm not saying that there is not spam, fraud, all sorts of stuff in Apple's app store. I'm saying that the use of Apple Pay seems to reduce fraud considerably. And if I can tell my app downloaders to not use Apple Pay and to exit and go into a web browser and to put in their credit card into some random ass website, um, you know, then I could probably get away with a bunch of stuff. I just don't buy the argument that there is less or significantly less. I'm sure there's less, but I don't buy the argument that there's significantly less fraud because of Apple Pay. Hmm. Um, Let's say it was true, though. That's not the equation. The equation is, is that worth the trade-off to open up more competition for the larger right, you know, market? Right. That is the question. Economy? Yeah. And I would argue that, yeah, it's, it's, it's better to have you know, a Spotify that's barely breaking even than, and, you know, Apple music, just making all the money. <laughs> that's better for the world. But the trade-off for, I mean, you have tons of people, you know, kids spending money on, <laughs> because it's so easy to spend money. And there's that problem because of Apple pay. So I, I don't actually, think- that's, that's a, that's a good example. That's a counter example um, in the way in which Apple has introduced family controls and the ability for doing family approvals. Now, maybe that's a, a credit card feature, but living in the Apple Pay world, parents have the ability to approve or deny payments. I'm not sure, maybe Google Pay has something similar, but I guess I'm just saying that when you go back to the way of kind of magnetic strip type credit card payments that are still available on the web, when you type in a credit card number and you put in the, the CCV code, um, that's how a lot of payments would happen. And I think that does, I mean, it does open up fraud regardless. I'm not going to make an argument whether there is more fraud in one place or another. I don't know. I don't have good data on that. I'm just pointing out that as Alex pointed out, um, that there are second order effects that just looking at the noble cause doesn't necessarily, or is, is an incomplete analysis. Maybe Apple should just drop that fee a little bit. I think that would be the best. I mean, that's what Shopify's doing. Microsoft did. Amazon has done. Mm -hmm. They're all moving in that direction. And it just seems like it's like, finally, what if Apple did? I mean, what if they just dropped it to 15%, 12%? They might have to do it from a self, you know, speak about self-preservation. They might have to do it from a self-preservation standpoint. So. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't yet, to be honest. I think they would have Mm -hmm. saved themselves a lot. And and they did a little bit, right? But not to the, to the degree they should have, I would argue. Yeah, like, is it fair that every person who bought a ticket to this event tonight, 30%? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's what will happen in the future. That's that totally true. That's what I always found crazy is that it's it's not just, like, the initial purchase. It's not just the subscription, but it's also just in-app payments. That, like, what, what are they providing there? Absolutely nothing. Well, I mean, if you do use Apple Pay, it is a very smooth, clean process. Now, I know you're an Android user, so maybe it's different on your end. I don't know. But... Um, there is something to it, right? But then, then it should be that should be extra, right? You should mm-hmm. level the playing field, and that you know extra um, you know cut that Apple gets should should be on the end user. And if you want to you know, use a different payment processor and it'll cost you less, that's great. And developers get to provide the option. Developers want to provide Apple Pay to their to, to well. The, that's, that's what Microsoft is doing with their App Store. So this is going to be a fascinating period where again the market is correcting itself faster than regulation can come, and we're going to see how and what kind of stuff happens 
like in a world where you can bring your own payment processor and you can bring your own app store to Windows 11. So we're finally seeing some real competition in this space, I think, just in time. Yeah, I've, I've long thought that Google missed the boat. They should have they should have swooped in and did this before Microsoft and yeah. you know provided a real um, kind of like competitive edge to Apple and said, look, if you come to our platform, here here are the possibilities, and you got you get to pay less, and you know we're we're, we're more open. Yeah. Okay. Folks, it's been a pleasure. I got to drop off. But totally. I, I was just going to wrap this up, Alex. Um, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Actually, uh, uh, do you have anything? I mean, I know you do. Alex, why don't you give your spiel? Where can people find you? What should they subscribe to? Tell us more and then feel free. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you can subscribe to Big Technology. It's a newsletter on Substack. If you just type in Big Technology, maybe Big Technology Substack, or just go to my bio. You can find it. <laughs> and then Big Technology Podcast is the podcast. And your podcast app of choice. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us here. This was really great. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. And um, we will be publishing this to SpaceCast uh, tomorrow, probably. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Let's do it again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Alex. Okay, bye. Uh, Brian, you still here? Brian fell asleep. Okay. <laughs> Well, guys, um, with that, I am going to uh, wrap this up. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you want to like, drop me a note, send me a DM, at me, that's cool. You know where to find me. Um, we will be back here probably next week talking more about this stuff. Thanks so much for listening. This one was a deep dive into policy and government stuff, which is a little bit rare. But nonetheless, appreciate your attention. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Thanks.